Powered by InsideTheBirds.com. He's in. Touchdown. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Andrew Checo from 973ESPN.com is in the house today. Football at Four is being brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com. Win real money with their sports book along with casino games. And from the comfort of your home, must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER. A lot to dive into today. As really... The last couple of days, everybody's been wondering when the Eagles get back to practice after this report, Broads, about uh, Jason Peters wanting more money, where will he be lined up and what will Doug Peterson say to address it? Well, Peterson did, in fact, address it today, and I don't know that he cleared things up. What about you? No, I'm not buying anything he said, actually. Not buying. So he was asked, point blank, by Dave Zongaro from NBC, there are a couple reports that Jason Peters wants a pay bump to slide from right guard to left tackle. Is that true? If he gets to the point, if it gets to the point where you ask a player to change position and they refuse, does that undermine your authority? Let's bring Andrew Decheco in football at four and get his take on that because Andrew, Jason Peters is clearly the best option to play left tackle, is he not? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just listening to what you guys were saying uh, a few seconds ago, and I have to agree with you because, there, and, and especially with what Hunter was saying, that I'm not buying it. There's there's definitely some truth to that report. That that, that something like that doesn't just appear out of out of thin air. I definitely think that Jason Peters wants to be fairly compensated for being that left tackle position. Obviously, it's a premium position when looking at when comparing it to to the guard position. Um, when it's so simple that you have a, a Hall of Fame guy there that you're not moving to tackle because you don't want to disrupt the timing and the continuity that's been kind of blooming uh, over the last couple of weeks, it still is a head-scratcher because the options that are, that are currently available at left tackle are, are kind of less than inspiring right now. Yeah, I mean, at this point, if don't you think Jason Peters would, would step up and say, if they want me to move, I will? Yeah, that's that's something I was kind of anticipating coming out over the last day or so, but maybe it's something that he's kind of just keeping quiet. Maybe there's an understanding um, in the coming week or something. Maybe they're trying to work something out and he doesn't want to be a, a disruption, but um, it's, it's kind of odd that nothing's kind of transpired on that fold and they're kind of just rolling out Matt Pryor in that role when he's clearly not a left tackle. He's better at guard, but he's more suited. But if, he's, if he does play tackle, he's better suited to play right tackle. The timing is so big for me because if this was to happen, let's just throw a hypothetical out there, week two in the middle of the third quarter, are you going to have Jason Peters go, eh, hold on, Dougie, you know, I, I deserve more money if, say, somebody went down at left tackle. Let's just say it was Andre Dillard. It, it just doesn't make sense. It's almost like he's using the time of this as leverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if it was in the thick of things during a game, and they tap him on the shoulder and said, hey, JP, you're going in there at left tackle. He, he goes out there and, and he plays left tackle. And, and, and even at 38 years old, he's going to play it at a high level. I, don't th- I think that timing is, is everything in this situation. I think that now that he has a couple weeks to play with, there's, you know, it's time's dwindling down until you get to the, uh, the Washington game and Chase Young's waiting and licking his chops, I'm sure, right now. I think he has uh, – I mean, Jeff, Jeff Mosher said it best – Jason Peters has some leverage, but so does the Eagles. You know, who has more leverage? Well, I mean, 
that's up for debate. But I, I think right now he's playing with uh, he's playing with that time frame, and I think that's why he's he's uh, taking the stats. Well, so Peterson is asked a question. He said, first of all, I don't understand where some of these reports are coming from. Peters has mm-hmm. done an outstanding job at right guard. So here he's trying to validate that Peters has done a good job at right guard. Well, no one's undermining that. No one's saying he's not doing a nice job at right guard. So are the Eagles essentially saying they're valuing the right guard position more than the left tackle position? Because he says um, the fact that Jason has really embraced a new role, he's done it well. I mean, is that – do you take – because after that he was asked, if you asked Jason Peters to play left tackle, are you confident he would do it? And he says, to me, that would be a private conversation – uh, one between him and Jason. This, to me, suggests the way he's answering this is that Peters doesn't want to move to left tackle. I find that hard to believe. Yeah, the the way I kind of took that, Mike, is that he was trying, Doug was trying to defuse a potentially, you know, a uh, volatile situation where Jason Peters could, it could come off like he's being undermined and that creates that frac that can fracture a locker room, especially with so many other things piled, can, like piled on top of that. That's the last thing you really want to deal with when you have a, the regular season, you know, 10 days away or whatever it is. And um, I definitely think he tried, he came off today like he was trying to defuse it. You don't just have a, a hall of fame left tackle sitting there, and, and, and not think to put him in there when you see other guys around him struggling. I, I think it was a, a power move by Peter to say, you know, I'm not doing that without being compensated. And I think him and the Eagles are both at a little bit of a standoff here. Real quick, he said today also, we have some options at left tackle that we're working through over there. You got one guy who's green as grass, Mylotta, who's never played a game. You got a rookie who was not a tackle, a left tackle in Driscoll. And Pryor's never played the position. You're working through learning how to play left tackle in the NFL on the job. That, to me, is quarterback. You can't put your quarterback out there with that situation when you have a Hall of Famer on the roster. Not to mention, Pryor has played right guard before. So he's talking about, you know, oh, it's hard to disrupt that many positions. You're not disrupting anything. You're putting guys where they actually played before. To gamble on the left tackle position, the blindside protector of your quarterback is a recipe for disaster, and that's what the Eagles have with Chase Young and the vaunted Washington football team defensive line waiting for them. The answers today that I saw, Mike, they just don't really – they don't add up. They certainly don't make a lot of sense. The options that they have are the options that they have, and they're not very enticing. They have – obviously, like you said, Jack Driscoll, to me, might be the best equipped to do it. And he's not even a left tackle. He's a right tackle. Yes, he's played a little bit of left tackle uh, when he was at UMass early. And it looks like Andrew just vanished. Yeah. But he was saying that uh, he played right tackle at UMass, and then he went to Auburn and was a tackle, a right tackle out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am so baffled by this. The way you just laid out that perfect question there with, with, and just and laid into it about how you're not mixing anything up. You're not mixing anything up at all. You're actually putting them into the spots that they deserve to be and that they played their whole career for the most part. That is what you're doing. So yeah. how is this happening? Well, I don't know. It's blowing it, so my mind. Andrew, you were talking about Driscoll at UMass. Yeah, Mike. So he did play. He played left guard and left tackle early in his career at UMass. I believe it was only it was over nine games or something early in his career in 2016 after redshirting in 2015. But he's built. He's equipped his size and his and his lack of lack of arm length kind of 
limits him to being a right tackle for, you know, long-term success. He can also play either guard spot or center. So he does have a lot of positional versatility and a strong football intellect. That's why I think, you know, in a pinch, I think he probably offers the best skill set, uh, the best makeup of any of the three. Although he, and no matter who you put out there, Mike, they're going to struggle against Chase Young. I think even Jason Peters, uh, 38 years old, having not been, not going through the left tackle reps, this summer, I think even he would get off to a tough start against Chase Young, which makes me think that unless you go outside and make and, and, and initiate a trade for a player who might be on the cusp of making a roster, whether it be a veteran or something like that, they're going to have some problems. I'm just trying to think of some answers here. Is it possible that Jason Peters believes that playing guard can actually make his career longer at this point? I think so, and I think that he also realizes that left tackle is the premium position on the offensive line. You're going against the premier pass rushers in the NFL, and I think to be able to 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 you know fulfill that role, I think he wants to be fairly compensated. When you look and see across the NFL, what left tackles are are being paid, and I think he knows that uh, the Eagles are kind of under the gun here with the season rapidly approaching. Um, but you know, like I was, like I wrote before, guard presents its own unique challenges. It's you're taking on guys who weigh, you know, thirty or forty pounds more than some of the pass rushers you're used to going against. It's a it's a physically tasking uh, position on the inside. There, you're pretty much playing in a phone booth. You have you're going against a lot of like, different body types. So it's not necessarily easier on someone who's. Uh, in, in the advanced stages of his career, like Jason Peters is, um, in fact, I, I would think they would wear him wear on him more playing on the inside. Yeah, I mean, you're up against defensive tackles who are generally, you know, f- think about this: trying to block Fletcher Cox for a full game as opposed to trying to go against a smaller guy like Brandon Graham. I mean, there's 50 pounds between those guys. Um, and Trey Thomas brought that up with us when he was on. He said, "Guys, moving inside is not as easy as it sounds in terms of the physicality." And one problem, Andrew that Jason Peters has had. He's been nicked up with these little injuries. It's not like major injuries, uh, but every game he seems to have to leave for a little bit. Now, you add 50 pounds to a guy banging on him all game long, all season long, is he going to be as an effective player at this age? I I mean, to me, if I had the chance to bring Jason Peters back and play him at right guard, that's nice. But if I have a chance to bring him back and move him back to left tackle when something like this happens, this is a perfect option. And for them to be fiddling around with these other three guys at the left tackle spot is, is, is asinine to me. Yeah, especially, you know, given the injury history to Carson Wentz, that's your franchise quarterback. You don't, you don't gamble with the left tackle position. It's clear as day to all of us that the three options that are there aren't, they're not, they're not, they're not acceptable options right now. Yeah, now, if you told me, if you told me today, Andrew, that, hey, you talked to somebody and they were, holding out hope that when Lane Johnson came back, they would move him to left tackle and then move Pryor or Driscoll to the right side, then I can I can understand that being, okay, Lane Johnson going to left tackle, Pryor uh, or Driscoll, they're more comfortable on the right side. That would make more sense. Yeah, actually, today somebody kind of proposed that to Doug, and he pretty much nixed that. He was against that. He didn't want to move Lane. They, they said they've had those discussions before with Lane, but they would prefer that he, he stays on the at right side at the on, on the right side because then he, his retort was, "Well, then who plays? Who plays? You know his position?" Right. He said, "Are well, you, you putting Driscoll guys. over there? You putting Pryor or yeah. Mylotta? Yeah, have, the same three yeah, you guys you're guys putting at left tackle." 
exactly. He said, well, then you're trying to, you know, you're trying to figure out three different positions instead of, instead of one. That was his, that was his answer for that. Now, of the three guys, Pryor, Maialata, Driscoll, where do you rank Pryor on that list? Because evidently, Peterson has him at the top of the list. Yeah, that's that's odd to me because if anything, I would have. I mean, personally, Mike, I have I have Driscoll, Mylotta, Pryor. Pryor's not a left tackle. Pryor's a right tackle, if anything, but he's he's best suited to play guard. He's a limited he's limited athletically, but he he can be that road grader, that mauler, that interior mauler. We've seen him find success doing that against the Seahawks in the playoff game. Um, but I mean, Mylotta's just so raw. He has immense upside but you don't want to throw him out you don't want to essentially throw him his first snaps to be against one of the best defensive lines in football and throw him to the wolves like that that's counterproductive in my opinion to his development i think you want to as as tough as it sounds you want to put you know you want to test your fourth round pick jack jack driscoll out there um like i said any of the options that they have they're going to struggle mightily i think that the only solution at this point is to Find a way to, you know, mend the fences there with Jason Peters and get him over to the left side, or you know, initiate a trade in in the coming weeks, in the coming days, I should say. The offensive line has obviously always been a strong part of this organization. So now you have a questionable left tackle, Isaac Sayamala, who's been pretty solid from what we're told. Kelsey, mm-hmm. Jason Peters, and Lane Johnson. How good can this line be with that questionable left tackle? Can it be such an issue that it actually limits them to what kind of season they have? Oh, Hunter, it's going to limit them um, significantly uh, in the running game. And Carson Wentz's uh, ability to, to kind of heave the ball downfield and open up the offense. I think that he's going to be you, – you think you take that left tackle out, you, you, you're missing Brandon Brooks. You don't know if Jason Peters – if he's going to be reliably available week in and week out. Then all of a sudden you're looking at your reserve linemen, and out of the group that they have, only Nate Herbig has played NFL snaps, and that was just three snaps last season. They have some significant depth concerns on the offensive line, and even as it stands as a starting unit, it's concerning. But, you know, you take one of those guys out of the mix, and all of a sudden you're looking at Sua Opeta, and um, Nate Herbig and, and, and guys that just aren't ready to, to, to play significant snaps in the National Football League. Uh, Andrew DeCecco, Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast here on the Sports Bash. Um, this was a line that you would think was one of the better ones in the league. Now, Dillard was a kind of a wild card, but a first-round pick, and then bringing Peters in for Brooks seemed to hold up that right side all of a sudden. And, and, and all of a sudden, um, do you think going outside the organization – to find a left tackle is is maybe the direction they need to go. I think, in my opinion, in order for the season to get off the ground to a promising start and and really find six, any semblance of success on the offensive side of the ball, the only option, in my opinion, is to go out and get go outside the organization and acquire a left tackle. Um, unless Peters quality, deci- unless uh, Peters decides to do it. Yeah, but even still, how how reliable of an option is he going to be? How how what is his reaction time going to look like a year later? You know, a, a year older at thirty eight years old, can he stay on the field? Can you can you rely on him to even get you through a game? Because then you're back to square one if he can't. I I, I do think you need to add a veteran or two to that offensive line because the likelihood of them getting through the season with their current unit, their current unit, it's, it's just very unlikely. 
Yeah, uh, and and Doug Peterson, by the way, he was asked today. He said Pryor was has hardly ever played left tackle, and that's a reason why you don't move people where they haven't been before. You have a Hall of Fame left tackle that you're not moving to left tackle. What am I missing here? And hmm. uh, Peterson said, "I the like fa- that question." By the way, yeah, that's that a was great question by Jeff McClain. Jeff McClain, right? He said the fact that we're not moving him to left tackle, nothing. You're not missing anything. The fact is that he came in here and had done a great job for us at right guard. So, again, with that question and that answer, it seems to me they're valuing right guard more than left tackle. I mean, is that how you read it? I, I think that they that the player, Jason Peters, kind of made that, made that decision for them. I think that, obviously, they – they they prioritize the the bookings, the tackle positions, but or does it suggest that the report is accurate that we didn't move him there because he wants more money? I, I I think that the report there's validity to that because something like that doesn't just get pulled out of thin air. I think that so you kind of see him do. Uh, I don't want to say cleanup or, or damage control, if you will, but he tried to kind of dissipate and and diffuse any potential conflict that could be there. Yeah. I think that Jason Peters kind of made it made it known that made it known one way or the other to them that hey this is I'm staying here unless you unless you, you compensate me for playing a you know a more challenging and more you know a highly <laughs> a highly difficult position on the offensive line. Um otherwise I'm not, not going there. Uh Andrew Checker football four. Uh Rieger's out. Um Arcega White's Arcega Whiteside, High Tower, Quez Watkins your read on the wide receivers now uh, with Rieger out. Yeah, so I think what's going to have to happen is John Hightower is going to play a role in week one, a lot earlier than many anticipated. The good thing about Hightower is that he can play the X position, he can play the slot position, he can also take the football out of the backfield and create plays on jet sweeps and screen passes, and he can return punts as well. There's some versatility to his game. I do think that he'll be able to – at least contribute a handful of snaps. I don't anticipate him playing that often, but you're going to have to dress five receivers on opening day. Now, I don't know where Quez Watkins fits into this equation. Um, there's also Deontay Burnett, who's played some NFL snaps. I think uh, I think the fact that the, the, the Rager thing cre- opens the door for a player like Deontay Burnett, who I've always, uh, if you remember back in May, he was a player that I kind of, I kind of said, you know, don't forget about him because he, he came in and he picked up the offense fairly quickly. He always had four practice of, practices on the practice squad, came right in, caught a 41-yard reception in the Giants game, which was the second longest reception by any Eagles receiver since week two. So there's something to be said for his ability there. And people forget, he's only 22 years old, so he's two years younger than John Hightower, which is kind of amazing to think that this is his third training camp. So I think that he can be a factor on um, – in week one as well and kind of just you kind of gotta it's going to be a little bit of smoke and mirrors as far as depth concerns and then until you're just trying to get Rager back hopefully by by week three or four yeah it's very unfortunate that Jalen is not going to be a part of the offense Mm -hmm. because everything had been trending to him being a big part of the offense you just wonder um if you know he seemingly is a different type of receiver than JJ and Hightower, right? I mean, they're not—they don't have similar yeah. skill sets. No, uh, Jalen. There's there's not a receiver on the roster that's in the mold of a Jalen Rager. Jalen Rager, his body type—he he, kind of reminds me, I guess, of, of a Steve Smith who has that physicality. He's going to go up and attack the football. His leaping ability is is phenomenal. Um, he's able to take advantage of you know create plays in space and. 
and really take any any reception at distance, but line up everywhere on offense. And they don't have a player in that mold currently. And I think that's what makes them such a valuable asset. And it really stinks to see that it's really too bad that he that this happened because all things were pointing towards him getting off to a fast start and really um, really adding another layer to this offense. Uh, over uh, real quick, uh, Andrew Dechek is with us football at four here at running back. It seemed today that Miles Sanders uh, is day-to-day now. He should be ready to go, it sounds like, at least for the opener. Uh, but what have – uh, Doug Peterson in this offense kind of seen from the other guys. We've talked a lot about, you know, there was some talk in the offseason about finding that veteran. Leonard Fournette had become available. There's people uh, tweeting, you know, hey, should they go after him? Boston Scott, Corey Clement, is Doug Peterson happy with that group? Or, uh, and, and, and there's a couple other guys I know that you know well, Holyfield, Warren, Adrian Killens, mm-hmm. uh, or is uh, Fournette an attractive uh, possibility to you? Well, if you, if, if anyone's paid attention to Leonard Fournette's last couple of seasons, he hasn't been incredibly productive when given a lot, a lot of opportunities. He took the lion's share of the carries for the Jaguars last season outside of the occasional two or three that Ryan Paul Armstead, the Temple alum, of course, uh, he only got two or three carries a game. So Fournette was averaging, I believe, it was like 21 carries a game, and he didn't do a whole lot with it. Um, as far as the other guys, he, he named Boston Scott, I believe the Doug's words were he was, he's been a bright spot, which is what you kind of expected him to say about a guy like Boston Scott, who really is a spark plug. He creates plays. He's not incredibly fast, obviously, but he's a pinball type of running back that can, he's a terrific one cut runner. And, um, and, but he, but what really struck me in his comments today was that he was overly effusive in his praise for Corey Clement, which, which pretty much aligns with all the reports that we've heard and seen about him just rounding into form, getting that bounce back in his step, really being able to, to add some add some explosion to his game that we really haven't seen over the last couple of seasons. So that's encouraging there. They may only be able to keep three guys here, Mike, because of other other areas of, of need, such as wide receiver. You know, Alshon Jeffrey likely won't start the season on the PUP list because he could be back within the first few weeks of the season. So that complicates things. You need to carry another guy likely because of the whole Jalen Rager thing. Um, and they may go heavy at defensive end in other areas. So I think they may only be able to keep three running backs. But the thing is, the luxury, that I should say, that the Eagles have is that 55-man flexibility where you can keep a guy like a, like an Elijah Holyfield, a Mike Warren, or a Killens on the practice squad. Killens has had a great summer, but you really need to be special in order to stick as a fourth running back. You need to be more than a utility player. Should something happen to one of the guys in front of him, he's not a guy that can take the football and give you five or six productive carries. He weighs, let's not forget, he weighs about 167 pounds. So he, he's more of a specialty player that can kind of impact the, punt, the, the return game and some gadget plays. But I think the fact that there has been no preseason really plays to the Eagles' hand and, and every NFL team's hand because there's no film on these guys. So I feel like teams are going to be more inclined to stash the guys that they've worked with over the past month or so rather than bring a new guy into their system and try to get them up to speed because it really wouldn't be until halfway through the season where they'd be able to, to contribute for them anyway. Eagles, Washington. Coming up in two weeks, 97.3 ESPN will have it. Andrew DeCecco, 97.3 ESPN.com for more on the Eagles. A DeCecco NFL, it's football at four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Tomorrow, Jeff Mosher is in, Adam Capital on Thursday, and Andrew is back on Friday. Andrew, have a great rest of the week, man.
Thanks a lot, guys. You too. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter, at Broads81. we got to ask Mike and Broads on the other side. How about that Peter stuff, man? Bonkers. It's me fired up. can't understand that story. I know. It doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, to throw somebody on that side that either hasn't had any NFL experience or a position experience, both of them combined. His answers make no sense. I know. It doesn't. Doug Peterson sometimes, for as smart as he can be on game days and all that, he is uh, a little loopy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, sometimes. Like this one. I mean, hey, we don't want to move guys. Oh, you mean you don't want to play a Hall of Fame left tackle at left tackle? You'd rather have him play right guard? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Matt he does Pryor, this all the time. You don't want to move Matt Pryor, who played right guard in the playoff. So last year, the same two guys were on your roster. You played a playoff game. You felt that playing the one at left tackle was smart, and the one at right guard was smart. Now you think flipping them is a better op, better option? Well, I'll tell you what. Makes why. no sense. Well, because the money is real. The conversation about money is real, and he's trying to hide that, which makes it look even dumber. Makes no sense. You're right. Yeah. It makes no sense. Jared Diamond, national baseball writer. The Phillies have made a bunch of deals. Is their bullpen playoff worthy now? Is their lineup World Series worthy? We'll ask him. Coming up next on the Sports Bash Live, Mike and Broads, 97.3 ESPN. Wake up weekday mornings from 6 to 10. Broads here on a Tuesday. Guess what? Phillies back in action tonight. Now, the Phillies, uh, with these bullpen moves, they brought me back in a little bit. Not two feet, maybe a toe. Just one toe? Three toes. Foot. Okay, we'll take one foot. Happily take one foot out of you. I mean, that foot prior bullpen, I just couldn't give them. They're not, they don't get, you don't get me with that bullpen. But it's the still fun to watch. The Wilkes-Barre Red Barons wouldn't get me with that bullpen. But it's fun. It's fun to watch them explode. It's like, oh, here we go again. Well, I'll tell you, I'm giving Klintak a little bit of credit, which is tough for me to do because I think he's been terrible. <laughs> but at least he recognized it and went out there and made a couple of moves. Now, did, did he recognize it or did we force it upon him by screaming at him? I will say, why didn't they make these moves in the offseason? It's a good question. Phelps was available. I mean, come on. You got uh, these. some of these guys that they got here were available in the offseason. They chose to go with what they had here, Analytics. which wasn't good enough. Analytics. But have they done enough with the bullpen to now be taken seriously? Jared Diamond. Major League Baseball writer, National Baseball writer from the Wall Street Journal. Trade deadlines in the books, 30 games left to go. Jared Diamond, did the Phillies fix their bullpen enough that we should take a better look at this team, a little closer look? Should we take them seriously now? Probably not, honestly. It's hard for me to sit <laughs> here and feel it's hard for me to sit here and feel like David Phelps is going to be the answer that suddenly propels the Phillies. But look, here's the good news, right? There's a lot of teams in the playoffs this year. You really don't need to even finish above 500 probably to get in. Uh, if I am parsing the standings correctly, if the season ended today, the Phillies would be in the postseason, as I, as I think is the number seven seed. So they didn't have to do too much to get to October. And once you're in there, you never know what happens. So, yeah, I don't think they really made any enormous changes, but it might not matter once you get to October – who knows what will happen? Now, they blew eight games with that bullpen this year. I mean, if they cut that in half with what they have, I, I agree with what you're – but they, yeah, their bullpen was, it was, wasn't even a good AAA bullpen. They at least got some professionals out there now. Their problem is at the back end, I don't trust Workman or Neris. I, I think – look, I do think there is something to be said, and maybe this is naive of me, but I think there's something to be said to just – it can't be worse 
Like, maybe it was just as bad as it could possibly be for the first month of the season, and things will start to even out. But I honestly don't believe the guys the Phillies had before were this bad. I'm not saying this was Mariano Rivera here, but I don't think anyone envisioned their bullpen being as terrible uh, as it was for the first month of the season. So I do think you're just going to see some sort of natural improvement just because these guys are major league pitchers who just were so bad. And I just don't know how much that can continue for another month. Looking at, uh, you know, this offense, you think this offense is a playoff-worthy offense? Do you like the Phillies from top to bottom? Yeah, I love it. And I think, like, all of this is kind of not surprising. I think heading into the year, the question with the Phillies was, would they pitch enough because they're definitely going to score runs? I mean, obviously having Bryce Harper uh, playing like the Bryce Harper that the Phillies envisioned when they signed him has helped a lot. JT Realmuto has been great. Uh, Reese Hoskins, while uh, may not be performing exactly up to what Phillies fans would hope, seems to get on base like three times a game because he just walks every other at bat, which is really productive. Segura's been good. McCutcheon's been pretty good. Uh, their lineup, they're going to hit. They're going to keep hitting. It's just a matter of can they score enough runs uh, to compete with the other team's in their division. And I think what has been good for the Phillies as well is that the Nationals have been pretty terrible and the Mets uh, have also been pretty terrible. So uh, to finish in second place in the NL East, really not that challenging. Right now, the only team you're really talking about is Miami. And I absolutely believe the Phillies are better than the Marlins, no matter how well, surprisingly, the Marlins have played so far. I want to get your thoughts on the JT Real Muto situation. Do you sense that the Phillies are going to allow him to get to free agency, as we all expect, and then lose out on a bid for him? Look, once, once you go to free agency, anything could happen. I think if you're a team that really wants to bring a guy back, you should do everything you can to bring that guy back, lock him up before it's too late. Because once you get to free agency, no matter, no matter how confident you are that you'll be able to re-sign that player, you just don't know if some other team is going to jump in and blow that and blow that person out of the water and sort of force him to change his mind. So, look, as I sit here now, do I think the Phillies will find a way to work out a deal with Real Muto even if he goes to free agency? Yeah, I do. But I know I'd feel a lot better as a Phillies fan if he didn't get the free agency at all. And unfortunately, it seems to be too late for that. So once he's on the open market, uh, especially the catcher position where there's so few uh, really sort of both sides of the ball talent. Uh, he's going to be really in hot in hot commodity this winter. Jared Diamond, National Baseball Writer, Wall Street Journal. Uh, and then you look at the other. Now, if you were Matt Klintak yesterday, they went out and got Phelps, and then, of course, they got Workman and Hembury and Hale before the deadline. Uh, was, the, was the bullpen their biggest problem, or would you have liked to have seen them maybe go after uh, someone in the starting rotation? Yeah, it would have been nice. Uh, There weren't exactly sort of a a large amount of impact starting pitchers available. This was a weird trade deadline. While while it was busy, uh, thanks in large part to the Padres single-handedly, the reality is with this weird expanded playoff format, there really weren't all that many sellers. It seems like just about everyone in the league still thinks they have a chance to go to the playoff. And because of this format, everybody goes straight to a three-game series. There's no more sort of one game play in, everyone has an incentive to try to make the playoffs. I think we've seen the last few years teams that were sort of on that wild card bubble going, I don't know if it's worth it to really go for it because then we end up in this one game play in and we might lose it and that's the end of that. 
But now everybody goes right to three games. So everyone that was sort of in the hunt was acting as buyers, which led to very few sellers. So for the Phillies to have acquired an actual starting pitcher of, of value, I just don't know who that guy would have be would have been considering how few teams were really out there shopping pieces. Speaking of starting pitching, the Phillies prospect Spencer Howard pitched yesterday. He went five innings, and he's definitely shown some signs of, you know, great fastball, an unbelievable changeup. It's a shame Sixto Sanchez wasn't the one caught up, no longer in the organization. But Spencer Howard, I want to get your opinion on what he has brought to the table in his four starts. Well, look, it's been it's been inconsistent, but not surprisingly so. This guy is a a rookie who's just made his major league debut just like a couple of weeks ago. So it's not a surprise that he's been up and down. Obviously, the Phillies really like him, uh, and I have no reason to believe that they've misjudged him. I just think, look, it's tough when you're one of the top prospects in a system and you get called up. There's a lot of eyeballs on you, a lot of pressure. And so far, Spencer Howard has pitched uh, a lot like you sort of would expect a young rookie pitcher to pitch like. I think the good news uh, for Phillies fans and anyone with any young pitcher, uh, it doesn't always happen gradually. He, he might just turn it around quick. You see that happen a lot with these young guys. They get comfortable, they get through the league, and suddenly they, they turn it on. And by all accounts, this guy is as good as uh, any young pitcher in the National League. And, and I think eventually they'll see that. It's just a matter of whether they'll see it in the next four weeks before the season ends. What is your sense on the deadline yesterday? You know, how teams were thinking about a 60-game season. Did you get a sense of, uh, are we really going to go for it? And is this going to be, not that it's an illegitimate, but it's just a wonky year. Uh, do you think teams kind of took that into consideration? It seemed like the Padres didn't, but everybody else? Yeah, the Padres certainly didn't. The Padres, uh, the Padres are going head-on for the Dodgers. They want to knock them down, no question about it. I think what was interesting about the trade deadline is, who we saw being very aggressive. It was sort of those teams at the bottom of the playoff picture. The teams that we saw most aggressive besides San Diego were Miami, Toronto, teams that uh, you know, I don't think anyone really saw making the playoffs in a quote-unquote normal season, but now have a real chance. And we didn't see very much action at all from the teams at the top of the standings, Los Angeles, New York, Tampa Bay, uh, the best teams in the major league, so have been the Dodgers and the Rays. And they kind of did nothing, both those teams, essentially nothing. The Yankees didn't do anything. The Twins didn't really do anything. The Indians traded away their best pitcher. So that was kind of interesting to me, to see the, the, top, of the top of the class sit pat, but some of these bottom teams or middle-class teams really aggressively pursue reinforcement. Um, I, I wonder from you, as you look at you just said they, they want to go after the Dodgers, um, and you know that was uh, a big part of it. After this trade deadline, has your view of this season changed? I mean, was yesterday an, uh, an altering day? Uh, you got Tampa at the top. You got the White Sox at the top. You got the A's uh, playing tremendous baseball. Atlanta's at first. You got that Central that's all kind of uh, in a pile. And the Dodgers. Did somebody jump out and say the trade deadline changed for this team? Look, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. I think we've known that even before the season started. So nothing has changed on that front. Nothing that happened yesterday changed on that front. That The Dodgers are certainly the favorites, the single, singular favorites to win the World Series. But look, I know, I know I keep sort of talking about them, but the reality is it's impossible to overlook the Padres. It could have been easy for the Padres to have said, you know what, 
We're sort of young upstarts. We're finally going to get back to the playoffs this year for the first time since 2006. That'll be really fun. And then we'll, we'll really reload and go get them next year. But for the Padres to go, you know what? We're going to make the playoffs. And, oh, by the way, we actually want to try to win the World Series right now. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I don't think every team would have done that. And I think if you're a fan, that's what you want your team to do, to sort of seize the opportunity when it's front in front of you and not just sort of be happy that, oh, yeah, we have the third best record in the NL and we'll finally get back to the playoffs. Uh, I just think that's sort of a refreshing approach that we haven't seen much of in baseball in recent years. All right, Jared Diamond, national baseball writer from the Wall Street Journal. Phillies continue play tonight against the Nationals. It's Nola and Corbin, so a good one there. See if the Phillies can stay hot as uh, they currently would be in the playoffs. They are tied with the Marlins, second place in the National League East, and he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Always a pleasure, Jared. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Yes, uh, here's the thing, Broads. So he mentioned, yeah, the, 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 the bullpen is better. They still have their problems on the back end. He mentioned there wasn't that big starting pitcher out there. One problem I think the Phillies have, they got nothing to give up. There's not a lot of attractive uh, prospects, if you will. You would have probably had to give someone off off the major league roster um, that, quite frankly, I don't know that, if, that, that, that I would even be. Like, you want to give up Adam Hazel yet? You re- ready to kind of move on from him? The one guy would be Kingery. If you're done with Kingery, he would be the one guy. But we talked, you know, to Bob from Crossing Broad and and Frank. They said, I don't know how much value Kingery even gets you right now. That's a great point. No doubt about it. That is a great point. I don't know who they have. I'm not ready to give up on Adam Hazley. You want to throw out Roman Quinn as the center. I'm not trading Roman Quinn. Right, but I'm just saying if that makes you feel comfortable, like, hey, you have Roman Quinn, you can give up Adam Hazley. How can you rely on Roman Quinn's health? You can't, right? And Andrew McCutcheon's not here for that much longer. That's an open spot. I'm not ready to give up on Adam Hazley, so you make a great point. It's not like when it comes to the MLB roster, there's a lot that you're willing to move on from. And then when it comes to the prospects, we rip apart these prospects all the time. Yeah. Well, the Phillies don't have very many. That's my point. All right, we'll do a little Ask Mike and Broads on the other side. If you have a question for today's Ask Mike and Broads, get it in now, 609-403-0973. On the PlaySugarHouse.com text board, 609-403-0973. PT tonight five. Think he's fired up? No. I think he's un- he's upset. Okay. I don't think he's all like, let's go Flyers. Bum, bum, bum. On 97.3 ESPN FM. I right, asked Mike and Broads 609-403-0973 on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board. 609-403-0973. Ask Mike and Broads is brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. Got a couple over here. What do you got? Tanner wants to know. I like Tanner. Yeah. He's a good question asker. Of course. Has he ever asked a question before? I have no idea. (laughs) Do the Phillies lose JT Real Muto? Uh, I think they figure out a way to get it done. You do? Yeah, I know you're down on dumps about it. I honestly feel like they're going to lose him. Could you imagine that? Sixto Sanchez in the same division. JT Romuto possibly in the same division. Maybe they go to the Mets, get a new ownership in there. They want to make a big splash. They want to sell to the fans, hey, we're going to spend some money. Now you got to deal with JT in your own division on the Mets of all teams and Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, that'll be great. See you later, Matt Clentac. Yeah, no, I, I think that's one, why. Like, because of that, and, like, if they make the playoffs this year, I think that'll be a good, a feel-good thing, and that will kind of say, all right, we can't let him go. 
If a team, though, because at this point, it's pretty obvious he's hitting free agency, right? There's no saving this thing, and they're no, finding they a way. said yesterday that they've uh, had some discussions. I don't know if I'm buying anything I hear from them anymore. I'd be shocked. But, I mean, how do you sign Bryce Harper? And Bryce Harper is pretty open about it. Remember he said, I took, look, I didn't like when Bryce Harper came out and was all, you know, very vocal about signing him, signing him. I said, let them do what they need to do. But one thing he did state that I support is he extended the years on his deal so it would be less AAV so the Phillies can actually spend more money. Well, here's the extra money that Bryce Harper is giving you to spend. Spend it the right way. That's why I think he'll be back. I, I think right. they will get it right. I think they will get him back. Now, the question will be, will will they spend too much on him? Well, what if it's 23 per for six years? See, I like he's the best catcher. And I like that, and I like him, and I lo- I just don't think he's – first of all, I think he's he's not a four-hole hitter. I think he's hitting too high in the lineup. He's a guy if he should be hitting six. He's actually cold right now, he's too. Nice. Him and Bryce. Well, brisk. Which is crazy because this team is flowing. It's funny. Gene Segura steps up. Reese Hoskins steps up when JT goes cold and Bryce goes cold. And you know how it works. I mean, that's the how baseball happens. Yeah, I in, just in like I, I like Real Moto. I'm not saying that he stands. He can't hit fourth. He's not a four hole. Well, no, Reese's. Right? I mean, that's what Reese is supposed to be. Yeah. And he's hitting two, and now he's starting to wake up. Do they ever change him? Do they ever change him to four? Do they love that OBP? Nope, I think they keep him there. No, I think they I keep would him there switch too. him in Real Muto. I mean, if you're like Real Muto to me, and I mean, I don't think he's a two hole hitter either. Right, but me neither. He's probably a little bit lower. To me, Real Muto is How like that two sixty eight to two eighty guy. He's somewhere in there, like twenty five dongs. He's not the money that he's asking for, guy. Now, what but if- because he's the catcher, that's where the difference is. Is because of the position he plays. He's saying, I'm the best of all these guys. But you being the best of all those guys doesn't mean you deserve to get paid like the best of other guys. All right, what if this is your top six here? I'll throw Bowman at seven just because. You got Kutch at one, Gene Segura at two, Bryce Harper three, Reese Hoskins cleanup, DD five, JT six, Alec Bohm seven. What do you got? You got a Kingery maybe at uh, eight. And then... Kingery, I think, is odd man out. Who am I missing then? Because Quinn would bat ninth. So I'm missing whoever's batting eighth. Would that be a Phil Goslin? No. No, Jay Bruce. Uh, I mean, at this point, it would be your you D. You Segura? Yep. It would be whoever you wanted to put a DH. McCutcheon. Now he's bat one. Oh, your DH. Your DH. Yeah, so yeah. it could be anybody that you want to put in there. And- no, I go. My lineup is McCutcheon one, Real Muto two, Harper three. Hoskins four, DD five, Segura six, Boehm seven, and then okay. So we pretty much just have JT and Gene Segura. Yeah, I don't love Segura in the five hole. No, but I like him at the two. That's what he did last year a lot. It would be Cutchin and, and then they stunk hit. last year. Well, this is when before the Andrew McCutchin injury went yeah. down. And all. you want to hit one or you want to go for another one here? Uh, what do you got? I didn't pull mine up yet. All right. Well, Aaron wants to know who wins Game Seven tonight because you have a little Game Seven action in the NBA. You got Utah Jacks. Nuggets. Yeah, of course you do. I think they probably win as well. That's going to be a fun game. Yeah, you can listen to it right after the Flyers game. We'll have it on right here on 97.3. How about that? Yeah, I go Nuggets. Uh, guys, any interest in uh, Leonard Fournette? Nah. I'm passing on that. Yeah, I'm out. Let's figure out our left tackle first, huh? 
Uh, guys, Drew has been a major disappointment, especially having been called one of the top five players in the world by Peter Laviolette. The power play has been brutal, and they're trying to pass pucks through defenders. That wasn't a question. It was more of a statement. Yeah, well, look, if you look at this team and you say Claude Giroux has been the issue, while he needs to be better, I think you got to look at everybody else as well. It's everybody. All right, the final hour coming up next. PT's on the way, 5.30 tonight. Ask Mike and Bros brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. I'm Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show. He's Hunter Brody at Broads81. 